Greetings and welcome to Everyday America, where you'll hear the American story one person at a time. I'm Gregory King, your host, and my goal is to inform, entertain, and inspire by sharing the stories of everyday Americans with you. In fact, each of you are potential guests. More on that later. Everyday America is offered free to all that would like to listen in, but if you'd like to support me, go to my Patreon page and check out my goals and rewards. That's patreon.com slash everydayamerica. And special thanks to my music director, Steve Hall, who writes and performs all my music. He's a great studio musician, teaches guitar virtually all across the country, and can be reached at stevehallmusic at outlook.com. I met Today's American a few years back in connection with an animation project for American Express. Nils put together a great piece, and we've since gone on to work together numerous times. In fact, he designed the King Media Group logo. Nils has an interesting past, as you'll see. And while we could talk about creativity, which is boundless with Nils, we're going to talk about work ethic. The work ethic espoused by Nils and handed down to his children comes from down on the farm, where Nils learned some valuable lessons that he tells us about here. Nils, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you, Greg. I, I grew up in a lifestyle that is almost no longer existent in, in our country, and that was in rural America. I was on a small family farm. And in those days, the children were vital assets to the family living, you know, to the... Uh, to survival, basically, for you know, financially, we were part of the of, of raising the crops, harvesting, you know, milking the cows, taking care of the animals, and uh, so we felt quite invested in the livelihood that our family was uh, involved in. There, it was a small farm, about two hundred and forty acres, and uh, and you know. I never appreciated it when I was there. I was always, you know, I'd watch TV and I would see other places that looked a lot more interesting, that looked a lot more inviting, and, and certainly the climate was better. You know, I grew up in eastern Idaho. It was windy. It was cold in the winter. Summers were glorious. Uh but it was it was generally cold. I mean, our altitude was about four hundred four thousand seven hundred feet. And my father used to joke that you could go skiing eleven months out of the year in eastern Idaho. <laughs> One month of the year was too cold. So, <laughs> and, and and but my father was smart. He he knew that if he made it fun for us, that we he could get more work out of us. Uh, you know, my siblings and I and. And so, you know, if we did our chores, if we got our work done in the winter, we could go snow skiing on the weekends or in the summer, he would take the ski boat out on the Snake River in the afternoons and, and we would uh, have some good, good recreation out there. So it was not all drudgery. We worked to play. Looking back on that, what did it teach you? I think it taught me. Uh, you know, you pull a tractor into a 50, 60 acre patch and you know you're going to be there for a day or two before you get it done, whether it's plowing or harrowing or disking or you know, just mm -hmm. 
you know, furrowing out the rows. It's just back and forth, back and forth. I learned to stick to a job. It was tedious, but you had to be tenacious and you had to entertain yourself while you did it. And that has served me well uh, in every endeavor I have done since then. I imagine myself, you know, walking into a, a sugar beet patch with a hole over my shoulder and, and you thin it one row at a time. And some of those rows were, you know, half a mile long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, it was tedious, wow. but you, 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 you got it done. Why, why did you stick to it? I mean, most people, and, and that's just one row, half a mile long there. Are how many rows? A hundred rows? <laughs> Well, oh no, there were probably six or seven hundred in a in a fifty yeah. acre patch. So three hundred miles of rows. <laughs> back and forth. What back kept and forth. you from just running and saying no? Why did you do it? What was well, it? What that... else was there? There was nothing. <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to eat. I, you know, you 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 grew up realizing that you were an essential, critical part of the livelihood. It had to be done. But it wasn't all, you know, my cousins would come up in the, in the spring and we would, thin, we would thin beats together. So we would talk and we would make up mm -hmm. stories. And we would, we invented all kinds of ways to keep us entertained. And at the end of the row, we'd jump in the river for a little refresher, you know, five minutes wasted. And, and then we'd get back to work again. And, uh, but we worked alongside migrant workers, you know, people that came from Mexico with a, special permission to, to work on farms and uh you know we got paid the same and it was yeah. we, we we were in competition they would start at one end of the field we'd start at the other and we knew if we didn't work hard we wouldn't get paid there was no money to be made and we wanted to buy fireworks for the fourth of july or buy a bicycle or you know we all had a goal what we should do with our with our money I didn't appreciate it then, but it has been probably the greatest blessing in my life now because when I start a project, sometimes they'll last for months. And I know that you just do it one bite at a time and you don't stop and you don't get discouraged until you muscle through it. Yeah. And every spring I had uh, friends from school that would say, oh, I want to get a job thinning beets or I want to get a job on the farm this year. And and, you know, thinning beets was the biggest uh, cash job you could get, and it paid the best. And I'd kind of roll my eyes to the back of my head because I'd heard that a million times. And I knew they'd last about a day and a half or maybe two days if I was lucky, and they'd quit. And it, it was the same thing every spring. I was the only one that would, you know, tough it out because I kind of had to. They didn't. Yeah. So that work ethic carried all the way through to your current career through your life. Is, is that lacking? Is that lacking today? I think there is not, not necessarily, you know, the students that I've had uh, at, at the art center where I teach are pretty driven and, or they wouldn't be there. Uh, and if they're not driven, they don't last. The, the work ethic is, critical i think the the thing that makes you the most successful in whatever field you go into is sticking to it staying loyal to your trade and uh, until you get to you know you get past critical mass 
where you are known for it and people call you and you know, get clients and it's word of mouth and you, you, your word gets out and you, you're busy and you land one job after another. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how it worked for me. Uh, I, I've always been a freelancer. I never worked for anybody else. Uh, I never worked in an in-house you know, design studio. I liked being my own boss because I was used to that. That's the way it was on the farm. We didn't, we, you know, we didn't punch a clock. You weren't supervised <laughs> from row to row. No, no, we didn't. Uh, <clears throat> it, we, we didn't earn money by the hour. It was by the job. So it was a model I was already familiar with and honestly quite comfortable with. What led you from the farm to uh, design? Well, I, I was always interested in drawing. You know, as a young boy, my father, I said, Dad, draw me a house. And he drew me this little, he still remembers it and he still talks about it. He drew this little basic house, you know, with a gabled roof and a chimney sticking up and a window and a door. <clears throat> And I, I saw that, and so I started copying it, and then I modified it and modified it, and, and I sort of taught myself perspective because I was observant enough to realize that, you know, these lines are converging, and it makes it look three-dimensional, and and uh, I just sort of went from there. In, in grade school, I was always the class artist, and then in middle school, I was, uh, again, always called upon to work with the you know, do the backdrops for musicals or uh, work with the uh, the artists or, or do the art for the, the school dances or whatever and draw posters for elections. And uh, so I became aware that there was a there was a demand for my talent and for what I could do. Uh, at first, I thought I wanted to be a painter and artist, you know, and paint mm-hmm. beautiful scenery and things like that. But when I finally got to college, um, I became aware of the whole term graphic design. Back then, they sort of called it advertising design. Mm-hmm. But graphic design was sort of this new field that was emerging. Uh, and maybe, maybe it wasn't new, but I just I became aware of it. And it was a good fit. I immediately felt like I'd found my home. And I, and I knew I couldn't be a farmer. <laughs> I just, to the just disappointment of your father? or <laughs> I, you know, I don't think he was that disappointed. It's a small farm and he wasn't ready to retire and he wasn't ready to turn it over to me. Yeah. So uh, he, he was perfectly okay with me uh, going, uh, moving to California and living with my aunt and and going to a school at this place called the art center that I had researched and, uh, and decided that that was where I wanted to go. And, uh, it was uh, a real. It was a bit of a culture shock uh, because I was fresh off the farm, you know, yeah. freckles and all, and uh, I didn't know what Gucci was. I didn't know what Neiman Marcus was. I didn't know any of that. I was pretty rough cut, and uh, my colloquialisms would give me away, of course. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I. It's it's hard. It's been so long now. I I really can't remember. I'm sure that people were quite amused by my um, uh, my my it's just my my way of thinking. Your and, farm sayings and yeah, the the the, my, the sense that I had. But I was but I was good. Yeah. Um. I picked. I was I was quick to pick up the concepts, and I was hungry for it, and I worked hard. 
And uh, I quickly, you know, uh, grabbed the attention of my instructors and they, they were very, very supportive. And uh, I earned the respect of my student, fellow students and the colleagues. And uh, so it was, uh, it was a wonderful experience. And they were, they were very kind and they were open and they were tolerant. Uh, and, and I had to learn to be tolerant, too, because I was introduced to ideas that were foreign to me. <clears throat> Not that I'd never been introduced to them before, because, you know, I didn't grow up in a bubble. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had lived outside the country uh, for two years before I went to Art Center, uh, and I'd learned a foreign language. You know, I spoke Spanish fluently at that point. Uh, so uh, I was no... You know, I, you know, I, I was in a country bumpkin. I wasn't a hazy. I, yeah. I'd been places and I had learned things and I'd experienced, uh, you know, a, a lot of things, you know, that uh, taught me that the world didn't revolve around my uh, my little farm there in Idaho. This work ethic then that you brought with you from the farm, it really taught you how to learn, how to stick to a task, and you... You hit school and you excelled. Now, I, this is one thing I don't know about you is how long you worked in the industry before you went to teaching. What was your next um, step yeah. from Art Center? Yeah. I graduated in 1980 and, uh, and just kept freelancing. I'd been freelancing while I was going to school and, uh, and I got more clientele and, uh, I was busy. I had, you know, I was able to buy a home. It was a little easier back then than it is now. But, uh, but I remember I just, I just hustled, uh, and you didn't stop and you didn't quit and you, uh, you were always, you know, talking to people and you were, if they'd ask you if you could do something, and even if you didn't know how, yeah, I would say, yeah, I can do that. Of course. <laughs> and then if I couldn't, I'd find out how to do it. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it, you, you, you didn't say no, you didn't nope. turn work down. No. Nope. And, uh, it, it, as far as school goes, you know, I, I realized that you go to school to learn how to learn because it didn't stop. Right. I graduated in 1980 by 1986, 1987, uh, the Macintosh was, was coming online, you know, Apple. Apple was coming out with these new tools and I remember going to trade shows and, and I was seeing these you know programs and, and, and computers that were being used for graphics. They were you know incredibly expensive at, at, at the time and, and they really weren't capable of much. But I became aware that this was the direction graphic design was going. And by 1980, I think 1987, I was asked by my former instructors at the art center, if I would be interested in teaching at the art center, which really flabbergasted me. It surprised me. I never had the intention of, of becoming a teacher or an instructor, but I had a skill set that they were looking for, which was uh, lettering, you know, drawing yeah. letter forms and creating logotypes. And, 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 uh, and I was good at that. And uh, they, I think my, the, the lettering instructor I had at the school was a, a bit of a pill. Uh, yeah, I won't go into that, but they fired him. And, <laughs> and he, was, he was just mean. And uh, he, he left and they were looking for somebody to replace him. And they chose me, which was uh, hmm. 
the sweetest revenge in the world. <laughs> uh, and I, <laughs> I've been teaching at Art Center for 32 years now. Wow. And balancing a freelance career at the same yes. time. But that's, you know, that's, that's sort of the Art Center model. Uh, they like to have practicing professionals. They want relevancy. Exactly. They want the students to learn for people who are actually out there doing the work. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm a proponent of that model. I think that's really mm -hmm. uh, the best way to go. You know, and, and, and I realize that there are many educational institutions that disagree with that, that, that feel like that you should, you know, spend more time talking about design and, and, and concepts and, you know, spending more time in the academic realm. You're learning the history of graphic design, becoming acquainted with, you know, the great, you know, designers in the world. And, uh, and I think that's all important and, and, and good, but you don't get to the moon by pointing at it. You really have to get to work and make things. Yeah. You know, that's what designers do. Mm -hmm. And you try things and you succeed. Sometimes you fail and you innovate. Oh, you fail a lot. <laughs> you know, when, when you're teaching students to draw letter forms, it's a bit of a slap in the face because, you know, we, we, look, at, we look at typography, we read it, we pick up our newspapers, our magazines, and we see billboards, and, and there it is. There's the type. It's just beautiful, and it, 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 it looks wonderful. And we never stop to think somebody drew that by hand. I mean, that's where it starts. Had to start, yeah. And you've got to make every character look like it belongs to the other character. And you can't control what order they're displayed, right? Exactly. That's a that's tough to do. How many combinations I've always would thought, that be? Oh, I, thousands. <laughs> it, uh, hundreds of thousands, you know, with your with with the letters. And it's it, it that takes a lot of time to do to do a whole typeface. I've made I've done about five or six typefaces. It's glacial. I mean, everybody goes, oh, I want to sit down and watch you make a typeface. And I, I go, no, you don't. <laughs> I, I promise you, you don't want to sit and watch me do it. <laughs> but, you know, typography has been my real love, even though that's not what I, that's not all that I do. Yeah. It's what I'm known for mostly because that's what I've taught for 30 years at the art center. And, and I liken it to visual music because every typeface has a rhythm, every typeface has a melody, it has a beat, it has, a, it, has a, it has harmonies in it, if it's done well. Some typefaces are very forgettable, just like music, and some typefaces endure for you know, hundreds of years. It's true. So I, I've had this love affair with the letter form for many, many years, and it, I've seen trends come and go, and uh, you know I've lasted through a few. Back in the '90s, there was this uh, major push for grunge typography, where they were just beating it up and cutting it into pieces, and you know because they could. Yeah. And it was it was sort of it was sort of a pushback from the precise precision that laser printers were were offering, you know, the world of graphic design and people were getting tired of it and they wanted, they wanted something more, uh, more roughed up, a little more organic. And uh, it, it, of course, these trends always t tend to go 
too far until we swing back to a more rational point of view and we rediscover what used to be and and build upon that and come up with something fresh and new. Right now, we've gone the other direction, I think, where you're, you're seeing a lot of rebranding now and everything looks so prefabricated. Like they just sat down and typed it out. And, 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 and maybe they changed a little, they made something red or something green, but they don't really modify the type. They don't give it any personality. Yeah. And I mean, a perfect example is the rebrand right now uh, that Intel just uh, came out with. Uh, I mean, it's nice, but it's absolutely, utterly forgettable. Uh, there's nothing, there's no personality in it at all compared to the previous brand which I thought had movement. There was some kinetic energy in it. It was, you know, it was nice. It probably could have stood uh, to be refreshed a little bit and brought a, uh, up to a more modern thing. But the, the new design is, it's just, eh. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there, you know, they didn't even consider the kerning uh, and, there's a big gap in the middle of it because the end is open. It's hard to do an oral drawing here. But I looked at that and I thought, where was their sensibility for, for letter forms? They could have modified those letter forms to fit that particular letter combination much, much better. Well, and you can imagine how much it cost. Well, the truth is they're scared to death of it. They don't know how to draw letter forms. That this new generation of graphic designers for the last five, I would say five, six years, they have not emphasized letter forms. Uh, it's because they're too busy doing the, the more the more sexy tracks at, at, the, at the design schools, which is user interface and user experience and app design. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't really require the skill set of drawing letter forms unless you're branding. If that's your focus, then, then you do need to have, you know, letter form skills, drawing, drawing the type, and so uh, they've they've sort of almost put me out to pasture in a way. I'm so I'm on call. I work. I'm I'm available 24/7 to the students who need branding, but I don't actually teach letter forms anymore, mm. as as a class. It's been that way for about a year now. Do you think that's due in part to the proliferation of these electronic fonts? I mean, a thousand and one fonts, you go online, you can download a font that looks like Star Wars, that looks like Wiener Schnitzel, that looks like, you know, has that had an right. impact on the on the uh, the craft? I, yeah. When I was a student, we had maybe, oh, 40, 50 fonts available to us. And we, there were three major typeface corporations, Morgenthaler, Linotype, and Chartpack, and, mm -hmm. and I think um, the ITC, American, uh, the International Typeface Corporation. Uh, you know, it was New York, London, and Switzerland. That was basically it. They controlled what type you had to use, you could use. And with the advent of desktop publishing, you know, it was it really it really was a Gutenberg moment where suddenly anybody could design a typeface and they could market it worldwide. Mm -hmm. And now we have, you know, tens of thousands of typefaces that are available. So you can pick, a, you can find a typeface that has a particular look and a, a particular attitude for any job. And so you almost don't need to be able to draw it. I mean, there's this sense that you don't. Uh, and, and to some extent that's true. 
you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Somebody's already done that for you somewhere. It could they could have done it in Indonesia. They could have done it in Brazil. It doesn't have to be London or Switzerland or New York. It's kind of sad in a way. You know, it's wonderful. It, it, it it's sad only to the fact that it's made people lazy, and they don't feel like they they yeah they, when they do want to manipulate the letter form, it it's clumsy. They make they make all the classic mistakes. So where does it? Where does it go? Where's what's the future of um, you know the classic letter form design? I don't know. I, I'm sure though that it will, the, these trends they come and go, and it'll swing back, and people will rediscover hand drawing letter forms, or at least modifying them in a way that makes sense, that's rational. And you can't do that if you don't really see the type and understand it to begin with. And the only way to understand it and see it is to draw it. Yeah. I, I have never been successful at uh, just putting some type type on the on the screen and then start pushing it and pulling it with you know anchor points and, and, and vectors into something new and, and beautiful and different. I have to print it out, put some tracing paper over it and sketch and draw. It needs the hand. That's your best tool. It really it, is. It, it's so fast and so quick and you can you can do more spontaneous things with it. Especially if you want to do something decorative, if you want to flourish, if you want to make something look beautiful or or, or romantic or or or, or, or spontaneous, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's all these you know adjectives that you know people want. You know, they want get make this feel um, like springtime. Make it feel, make it feel feminine. Make it feel super masculine. You know, you, you do it by hand, and then you look at other typefaces and say, well, here's how they solve this. Here's how they did the capital A, or this is how they, I like this lowercase G. It's a little squirrely, but it's interesting. And you can, you can borrow and plug things in and, and massage it and manipulate it like clay and come up with something really new and fresh and, and uh, unique. And it's fun. It, it, it's really a lot of fun. It's frustrating sometimes because you, 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 you just, sometimes you can't, you like you have an idea that works really well for one character, but it just doesn't work next to the other characters. And you know, I'm struggling on a logo right now for my daughter. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> you know, th- those are the hardest projects, family projects. You're more critical yeah, of your. Oh, they're more critical too, because <laughs> <laughs> they they know what you're capable of doing, and the... they go, no, 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 I think you could do better. The worst project <laughs> is probably the one you do for yourself. Yeah, um, that's hard. It is hard. Well, I know that work it, ethic has been passed down to uh, your, at least Lars, your son. Um, he's probably as aggressive as you are in his field. And and and, and it, it didn't happen because I was uh, nice to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know... Even though we lived on a quarter of an acre, which was nothing compared to the 240 I grew up on, every Saturday he was out there with a shovel and a pickaxe. We had projects, and he was digging roots out, or there was always something to do. And oh, he chafed at it. You know, he just, Mm -hmm. this isn't fair. I don't know why. Why, you know, all my friends hire gardeners. Why am I doing this? And and he'd argue and argue. and, 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 And so I learned to just shrug my shoulders and say, well, that's because I'm the meanest dad in the world. Yeah. 
<laughs> he couldn't argue about that. <laughs> you know, that that's about the worst thing he could call me. And I was already calling me, myself that anyway. So, and, but now it's so rewarding because he, he says to me frequently, dad, you were so, I'm so glad you did that. I'm so glad you taught us how to work. Yeah. And, and as a parent, you, you really do want your children to, to go further, farther than you did. Yeah. And that's a very, very rewarding feeling to see them. You, you, I almost feel like we, we catapult from generation to generation and each generation gets more opportunities and, and moves farther. But you have to have, you, you, you've got to be glued together. You've got to have your, you know, you, you, you've got to be uh, solid. Uh, those, those character virtues have to be developed and nurtured and 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 they grow you know from the time they're little children yes uh it's it it it, it it's, it's a, not it's something very... you can wait until they're 16 17 and instill those right it's too late then. it really is of course you know there's always the exception you have some some people who are just born with a package of of uh, it, they 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 get it they understand what works and what doesn't and and how to how to work with people and how to read a situation and you know they're they're, they're successful wherever they go mm-hmm. but uh most of us you know require that um that experience where you are mentored and you are guided and you are told no <laughs> yeah and 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 you, you you say no more than you do yes but i always try to create a zone what i call the yes zone uh with my children where we could say yes to a lot of fun things a lot of things they wanted to do and when they expressed an interest whether it was in sound design like lars did or or editing then i was there saying yes yes so what's the future uh, for you? Where where will you take your craft, your art next? Art. That's interesting that you, you say the word art because I don't consider it so much art as I do design. And there's a difference between art and design, at least in, in, in the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, art is self-expression. It's all about you. It's how you perceive the world and you're presenting your perception and your vision. Uh, and that's, that's a good thing. It's very beautiful. I mean, there, there, there's some amazing art out there, but design's a little different. Design is about communicating. It's about making something functional. It has a purpose and it has nothing to do with you very little to do with how you see things or how you perceive it. You can color it and you can flavor it because it goes through you. But in the end, it's not about you. You have to step aside and say, who it's about the audience. Who am I talking to and what do I need to tell them? Occasionally I'll have a student will say, well, I, you know, I think this isn't working. It doesn't communicate well. And their their comment is, well, that's the way I want it. (laughs) <laughs> that's the difference between art and design. You know, the artist just does what they want to do yeah. because that's, that's coming from them. And so my come back to that was, well, then I can't help you. 
you know, you should, you should go and enroll in the fine arts department. Yeah. That's not what design is. How much of design is science? Or, How much or, of it is science? Or, or math or rigid? You know, there's, yeah, there, there's, there's some math involved. You're dealing with shapes. You're dealing with the uh, space and you have to organize that space. So you've got to, you've got to divide it up. And, and there you are have rules. To divide it up into equal parts. And there are, yeah. there are, yeah, I don't know, rules. I don't know. I don't like the word rules because I think whenever possible, you should break them. But you can't break the rules unless you know what they are. And and I the word I would prefer to rules would be conventions, mm -hmm. traditions. And you can modify those. And, and I mean, that's basically what music musicians do. There are rules, there are chord progressions, there are keys, but then you modulate and you invent and you be, you, you know, you, <laughs> you express different feelings within the, that rule set. And I think that's probably what my attraction to typography was from the very beginning. It was very ordered. It was very structured. Uh, even decorative type is very ordered. There's a lot of rules being observed, but it may appear that, you know, you look at a piece of really flamboyant type or even, even graffiti is observing certain sets of rules and, uh, or you wouldn't be able to read it. And, and, and the bad graffiti you can't read anyway, but the, the, the graffiti you can read is really cool because they're observing just enough rules and conventions to communicate yeah. what it is. And yet it, and it's interesting and different and new and it holds your attention. You know, the world of graphic design or, or design period is, it's interesting because the scarcest commodity in the world right now, it isn't oil. It's not food, it's not money, it's not, you know, the scarcest commodity is attention span. You know, the set of eyes, that's what everybody's fighting for. So you can't bore people visually. And it has to be quick. It has to be, it has to be quick, but it has to look beautiful. It has to be aesthetic. The, the, the aesthetic of it has to be um, engaging it has to be attractive it's very easy to to make ugly design or to, or to draw something ugly or to or design something ugly that takes very little talent at all you know you can you can take anything and, and look drive a car over it and rough it up and kick it around and go isn't that cool you know uh, that's just camouflaging your ignorance <laughs> <laughs> but it's it takes a lot more thought and talent to make something beautiful. I like the word aesthetic because, you know, well, what does aesthetic mean? And nobody can define aesthetics. And, and students, students will give you a blank look every time you go, you know, you hear the word aesthetic, you see it in print all the time, you know, in reference to designers and, and, and the world of design, graphic design, but they can't identify it or, 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 just, or, or uh, uh, describe what it means until you say, well, what does antesthetic mean? And they all know that, you know, well, that's what they give you at the dentist's office, so you don't feel anything, right? So aesthetic means the opposite of anesthetic. If anesthetic makes you numb, aesthetic may, causes you to feel.
how should you feel if your work doesn't make somebody feel something it has no aesthetic it's emotional thank you for hanging out with me on everyday america where we give random americans the opportunity to share their stories with you and remember if you don't write it down it didn't happen so share your stories and write them down for your friends and family and for posterity and make your story real. If you or someone you know is willing to share their story with us, send a note to everydayamericapodcast at gmail.com. Tell us why and give us a way to reach you. And finally, if you'd like to support us, go to my Patreon page and check out my goals and rewards. That's patreon.com slash everydayamerica. I'd love to have you become part of the show. See you next time.